0: you're listening to world building for masochists
1: and we're wondering why we do this to ourselves
2: wait there was another option no one told me there was another option (laughs) (laughs) oh i'm kate elliott by the way i'm visiting uh my lovely triumvirate uh (laughs) cass marshall and rowena that's right i'm cass morris
0: I'm Marsha Ryan Maresca, and I've always wanted to be part of a triumvirate.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'm Rowena Miller, and this is episode 43. Getting there is half the fun.
1: all right listeners we are absolutely delighted to have kate elliott here with us this week i am geeking out because i adore i adore everything that kate writes um and so kate welcome and please introduce yourself and tell our listeners about your magnificent body of work
2: uh thank you i'm kate elliott This was the one thing I didn't write write notes on for some reason. I always feel weird because I just want to say I've written a lot of books for a lot of time. And what else is there to say? It's like, I don't know. That's fair. I've been around a while. um, Still doing it. And I love science fiction and fantasy and world building. I love world building. And I'm I'm thrilled thrilled to to be here. here. I'm thrilled to be here, by the way. I want to. So thank you.
1: Yes. You are also doing exciting world building things with uh, the SFWA, correct?
2: I am. I'm. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. I've just started. I uh, started last year now. I can't keep track of time anymore. A monthly webinar. It's not really a webinar. It's just a dialogue between me and another writer called Narrative Worlds. It's available on the Nebula Conference. Um, there's a live one-hour chat, and then a week after that goes up on the SIFWA YouTube channel for anyone, whether member or not, to view. And it's been great so far. I've had Tade Thompson, and Cho, N.K. Jemison. Um, Sunday, I've got Aliette Badard. I've got uh, talking about details in world building. I've got Ken Liu, who told me he wants to talk about technology. Um, Rebecca Roanhorse, uh, Nyla Magruder coming up. Um, and that's so far so good.
0: That sounds like our whole wish list of people we want to get on the show at some <laughs> point.
3: And absolutely something that our listeners, I am sure if they have not yet discovered, will be glad to jump into as well. So yeah, let me just thank you for sharing that
2: with us. So let me just say it's every third Sunday, um, but you can also find it on the SIFO YouTube channel a week after every third Sunday of the month.
3: And, and perhaps we will owe our listeners um, a tweet um, confirming all that info when this episode comes out to remind them to go and find that. So,
1: Absolutely. Will do. So before we jump into our topic today, we have a couple of exciting announcements. Uh, one, it's been a few weeks by the time this comes out, but y'all may or may not have heard that the Reddit Fantasy Group awarded us a stabby for being excellent. And I'm very thrilled about that and looking forward to the three of us passing a dagger between us in creative and interesting ways. Yes, because if
3: if you can't stab someone with your award, what's the point really? So, you know, I am beyond <laughs> thrilled um, with, with this honor. And thank you to all the folks um, over at Reddit who put that on and to the folks who voted. Um, and thank you for doing that every year. It's always so fun to watch the Stabbies come out um, because it is so fan-based. So.
1: And that's just a great sentence. It's fun to watch the stabbies come out it is the stabbies come out
2: and congratulations that's a fantastic thank you um thank you fan voted we were, award we were
1: it happened on the day that the insurrection happened and we sort of found out <laughs> in the middle of that and we were like wow this is amazing we do not have the brain cells to process it no. right now <laughs> Like I, I'm just gonna put a pin in all of those emotions for now, and <laughs> there's not well, enough of me later. <laughs> to have all those emotions at the same time. So, um, and in,
3: in other happy news, yes. Marshall
1: has a book.
0: I do have a book that should be when this comes out. It should be coming out very soon or have just come out. I this will be the this will be right the right
1: Wednesday now. before it comes out.
0: All right, so you. You, dear listeners, will still have the opportunity to pre order The Velocity of Revolution, which is my standalone diesel punk fantasy that is filled with motorcycle races and train heists and sexy queer norm polycule families and society on the verge of combustion, which, you know, we're all used to by now. <laughs> and an undercover cop with a rebel's voice in his head and weaponized empathy magic. That's fueled by mushrooms. It's so much fun. I hope you all get it and love it and shout about how much you love it. Please, please do that. Or at least get it because I have bills to pay.
3: <laughs> also, um, if I can sell this a little more, there are tacos. in There the are book, tacos so in the
2: book.
3: I mean, if everything else wasn't enough to sell
2: you tacos. tacos, And it's a, it's a both a fantastic description and a fantastic title.
0: Thank you. That, that makes me very happy to hear you say <laughs> Because every once in a while you're like, did I choose the right title? Is this right? And so when Smith was like, that's a great title. You're like, ah, okay, good. <laughs> just like when those first reviews come in and you're like, not sure what it's going to be. And then I don't know how some people just don't look at reviews. I can't. I it just my brain cannot process how some people just are like, no, I just don't. It, it, it is foreign to me.
2: I, I don't have right. an answer to that question, so
1: <laughs> No. I, I try very hard not to. I mostly let my gentlemen tell me which ones to look at. That won't make me sad. So <laughs> I have a, I have a screener now after the first experience of making very bad choices for my myself.
0: That's wise. Yep. I, should, I should get, get me, one uh, get you one of those. <laughs> get me one of those.
1: Well, listeners, we are here with Kate today to talk about transportation, getting around your fantastical worlds because one cannot simply walk to Mordor, but maybe you can
2: take a bus. Actually, you can walk to Mordor. Because they did. Because they did, did, eventually. They did have to <laughs> cross did. one river. Well, a couple rivers. Never mind. They had to do a couple rivers. but You yeah. can't
1: <laughs> only... One cannot only walk only. into yes. Mordor.
3: So you guys... And, and perhaps we, no. we could say it was not simple. Right.
2: It, it's just we funny. We could
3: say it was not simple. You, 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 you asked
2: to give a... a it's funny that you say that or start with that because on the notes, the copious notes you have all put together that I have up on my screen, you said um, mention something that you thought worked. And I hate that question because then I have to think through the however many books <laughs> I've read over however many long time I've read, and I can never come up with anything. And I thought, can I use bad words?
3: Oh yes. Okay. And I well, thought, yes. I
2: thought, <laughs> fuck it, yeah. So I, I well, I don't know who's going to be hearing this. Um, if it were my 11-year-olds, they would have heard it already, so. I mean, my kids are no longer 11, I'm just saying, but when they were. Um, anyway, um, yeah, so I was going to say Fellowship of the Ring, because it, it not only do they do something that they would most people would have done in that day and age was just walk there, but you get the sense of how far it is, how much, how hard it is to go there, and it also plays into the plot because it's a piece of world building in and of itself because they have multiple choices and they choose this one because they think it has the greatest chance of success.
1: I seriously love how that works. And I follow a Twitter account that's, it's called The Shire Reckoning. And it posts during the course of the year, like what happens in the books on any given day. And it makes you realize how much longer time, like in world time wise fellowship takes than the other two books put together. And it's because it's the longer part of the journey. Yeah. They're covering literally more ground during that time. So even though I think it's, the, no, I think Return of the King's the shortest of the books, if you take out the appendices. But it's, it's not as long a book, I think, as Two Towers, but it covers more temporal distance because they're also covering more physical distance.
2: Right. And even, yeah, and you don't, that, that's not every single day isn't put in there, but... Tolkien knew his, you know, he, he understood what was going on in the pre-modern world and how they would have, how, how they would have gone that distance. And that's one of the things that I actually I love. I'm a total, total road geek. I, um, I don't know why. Uh, but to me, one of the first things I think about when I'm building a world is that blend of transportation and communications, because communications is just a form of transportation in the sense that it's messages. I mean, everything is about how people, how are people coming into contact, if or, or not people, if not everybody is human, but, um, and that link together is one of the first things I think about.
1: Uh, and I always
2: come back to this idea of, which is, how long does it take to get places? How long does it take messages to get places? And what does that mean for the world? And what does that mean for what I want to create the world? Not just how it's going to be, but how I want to incorporate those things in the story I'm going to tell. So I take all that into, I churn I, I like, I, I through all that when I'm thinking about where I want to go with transportation and communications.
3: Absolutely, because it becomes part of, you know, not only the world, but also the story itself, because you have to fold those concepts in. And if you're talking about a a world that doesn't have things like cell phones or even telephones, even just the you know, that there's a tension of who's going to find out about this first. Can we get to X place before they find out about why? And those things can become, you know, really rich parts of story. And you have to have worked out, you know, how does communication work? How does transportation work? Can, can a horse travel five days in, you know, this distance to get this message to this place? You have to have that kind of sussed out for the story to work out properly.
2: Yeah. And you
0: always want to figure out how much you can cheat in terms of rules of, rules of physics versus rules of drama. <laughs> you want to, like, to be able to say, like, okay, can, can they just get there? Can, can can we just get to the next sound and not, you know, deal with the day-to-day of travel, but at the same time, you don't want it to feel like you're cheating that just for the sake of how long does it, should it take, versus how long does it take. I feel like Star Trek is the perfect example of the show that always just cheats that like how long is it going to take us to get from A to B exactly the amount of time that's dramatically correct
1: (laughs) yeah 36 minutes give
3: or take right (laughs) it's gonna be tight but maybe we can make it
2: you know what I think it was Melanie Ron who said once that when she writes fantasy she either has instant communication or instant travel or some means it doesn't mean all travel would be instant or all communication because and i may be misquoting her but i've always thought about that idea that you can have the option for something fast because otherwise everything takes forever when you're not working when you're working like in a medieval setting well it would be nice if you could like have this one thing where people can go through a gate to get into another place and then as you said rowena it, it, then if it starts setting up the world who controls that you know or when i did um, when i was working on developing unconquerable sun my space opera which is not hard science fiction it's not meant to be science fiction that adheres totally to exact you know near the solar system mechanics and um, but since it's gender bent alexander the great in space one of the things i wanted to try to <laughs> but try to get across was that same sense that Alexander and his army had when they were marching. So some things took a long time, but they had roads that made it shorter than if they'd gone overland, you know, and the Persian, the Achaemenid Empire, of course, had royal roads and courier services that could go much faster. So the courier service could go in eight days. would take the army three months, even on the Royal Road, and anyone else going overland would take nine months. So there's all these layers. It, it's fascinating to me, because then you have this whole idea of, well, who gets what, you know? Who gets that courier? And who, what news are they gonna bring? And who gets to go with the army? I, I, I'm sorry, guys, I could just like, I, I could just that's like, I'm like a waterfall. To, that, yeah.
3: That's why we're all here. It's yeah. good. Right.
2: <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, if we go back to these, if we go back to these ancient empires, I think you first see roads, not overland paths that people are traveling between villages or, you know, small ships that are moving along the coast of the Mediterranean or the coast of China. But when you first see these big royal roads, they're usually developed for war not even for trade. But so the Achmanid Empire, as far as we know, built their royal road system on top an older system built by the Assyrian Empire to move their armies faster than people would expect and efficiently. And then the Achmanid Empire built on top of that. And then Alexander used those to move his, the main force of his army. And you see that again with the Romans, which Kath knows a lot more about than I do.
1: Well, it, and it's true, and it's so fascinating what it says about what a culture values and yeah. what they prioritize. Yeah, I mean, I love that idea of a royal road too, that you would go to the expense of building a road that not everyone got to use, that, that perhaps only a very, very small percentage of the population uses is fascinating. And then you have to wonder about, okay, but who actually controls that? Who, who prevents? Who watches and makes sure that those peasants aren't using this road? It becomes a whole system of how the culture operates and what they choose to put their time and effort and money into.
3: Well, I think the whole concept of infrastructure is fascinating because that's presuming already a question of what kind of power structures are in play? Who is in charge of what? Do you have a government? Do you have a, you know, religious aristocracy? Who's controlling this to even put together an infrastructure? And then you can dive even deeper into like, well, what kind of infrastructure? And when you move away from the more ancient or medieval, and start thinking about things that are getting a little bit more modern, you can even start to play more and like, well, it doesn't have to go the way that historically we did things or the way that we do things now. We, we think now, I think, of transportation, you know, especially in America, we all drive our own cars, places. And I think we often translate that historically, well, you ride your own horse somewhere or you take your own wagon. And it's like, well, communal transportation was a huge thing historically, still is a huge thing in many parts of the world and yeah. in many urban areas. And you can play with that quite a bit. So if you have infrastructure, is the infrastructure set up to enable people with their personal vehicle or livestock or whatever it is that they're using, or is it there to enable support of communal forms of transportation? And are those communal forms of transportation privatized, or are they supported by some kind of entity, government or trade guild or whatever you want to put together?
1: I just had a mental image of some farmer who needed to, like, teleport his entire flock of sheep to market and... <laughs> arguing with like the, the teleportation duty man that's like oh no you've taken too many sheep this month already you're out of you're out of chits you need some more <laughs> like that kind of infrastructure i think is just interesting and I, I don't know that could be an interesting thing to tag on to somebody free idea free for the taking
2: <laughs> and it also reminds me of then you get the flip side of that because you're absolutely right. There's so many layers there, but you, the flip side of that is how do people get around that system? I remember reading a book about um, pre-revolutionary France and then how it changed when the revolution happened, and that's when that's when roads were built not on a local level where the local lord made sure that his, you know, little piece of road was good. Um, which is the whole thing about history of roads and why roads are good in some places and not in other places and why it took so long for some roads to get good. But smugglers, of course, are trying to avoid the roads. And there was one group of smugglers who would tie whatever they were smuggling onto a pack of dogs. And then the dogs knew the route through the hills to another village or town. I know, right? Is that not the best thing? Love it. I love it. I I still haven't figured out how to work that into a story. So everyone (laughs) should work that into a story.
0: I am always amazed at the ideas of where either smuggling or messaging relies on that some animal will just get it right. Like (laughs) the amount of ravens sent in Game of Thrones that clearly always get to where they're going how does that work do they train the raven oh no you can you can only send this raven to king's landing because that's the only one place he knows how they to go they very I'm, I'm yeah. much
1: hand wave the training of messenger birds <laughs> yes. I at least lampshaded mine by saying magic <laughs> they are magically directed birds <laughs> carrying these messages but yeah game of thrones is just like oh they just know and apparently they fly super raven fast when necessary <laughs> and and also like never happen to get like picked
3: up by a hawk like, I can buy the training, I can buy their very swift birds, but, like, yours is never the one that, like, flies into a plate glass window. Really?
2: Have you ever? That,
3: that would be a plot point. So
2: read, <laughs> read the history of messenger pigeons in World War I, because there are messenger pigeons that got, like, the equivalent of medals for, because they got injured while they were flying messengers they got shot but they kept flying to their home coop <laughs> kept... I mean, like you know there's like a picture of a pigeon still alive it's like one eye is missing but it got it got the message through it's unbelievable and they have <laughs> and it's got a medal and it's it just got, got a medal like, yeah like they and bless there's, these little pigeons, birdie they heart. may not be famous now i mean they may not still be famous except among messenger pigeon aficionados but they were famous in their time they were heroic in their time it's just blows my mind
3: so one thing that um we touched on a little bit but that i always find interesting when it comes to transportation is how much it reveals about the technology level of the society that you've created Um, because even what kind of sailing ships you have available can reveal quite a bit about what your assumptions are about the technological development of your culture
2: Yeah, I mean, can can a sailing ship, does it, well, a sailing, not even a sailing ship, it might not even be a sailing ship, does it, can it only hug the coast? Can it go across open water? Can it go across open ocean? You know, and then then you have the development of steam, and then beyond that, it's, and it does, it changes everything about who can go where and how far they can get and the speed they can get there and what they can transport, given those circumstances.
3: And also, to some extent, accessibility, that when things become less expensive to produce, more people are then able to access, you know, passage on a train or passage on a ship. Whereas if it's very expensive to produce those things, you might not have the option of a, you know, transoceanic voyage. Whereas when you can build a much larger ship or you can have lots of smaller ships, it becomes more feasible for people. So thinking about that, too, like how accessible is transportation to people because historically people often, I mean, plenty of people did travel historically, but plenty of people did not travel historically
1: too. So how accessible is, is transportation in your world? And And how dangerous, like how, how many threats are there? There's a reason that um, early medieval England, particularly people tended to stay in their home villages. And it's because the roads were, not safe there were bandits everywhere and there was not a centralized enough government because at that point england didn't really exist it was seven different kingdoms and half the time no one was looking at vast portions of it so there was you know if you went traveling if you tried to journey you were taking your life in your hands and i think like sea voyages have a similar sense boats can be really dangerous and especially the longer the trip is and if you get knocked off course and you can't get water how does that affect how willing your people are to travel
2: and, and then that swings around also because you see this going way well into the earliest human history, which is the people who traveled unwillingly, people who, you know, a city was besieged and the people were t- and the women and children were taken as slaves after the men were killed. And then they're almost always transported somewhere else or the men who were transported to mines or the entire... Um, the entire African slave trade, where you have tens of millions of people being transported in sailing ships in horrific conditions, and these are all forms of transportation that are moving people against their will for reasons that benefit some people, a few people, and and not others. And yet then those those very acts of moving people change the places those people end up as well, because now you get the Gandhara, the kingdom of Gandhara, which sprang up after the conquest of Alexander the Great, where you had Greeks living in the Bactria Sogdia area and bringing Greek culture there for a couple of hundred years before it finally, you know, kind of got absorbed, reabsorbed again. So you have these places that kind of come up and go away again or that stay. Um, when you think about how much. Black American culture, how profoundly American culture and how much American culture is driven by the people who were stolen and, and in the most horribly criminal way from Sub-Saharan Africa and brought over here and how we wouldn't even have the country we have today with, with, without, without that. And we can't, we can't even really Oh, or, or the Chinese, um, the Qing Empire, where if you had done something that the bureaucracy thought was criminal by, you would be moved out to the frontier. But of course that benefited them because they could move people out to the frontier. And they're still doing that today in their own, in a different way in, in Xinjiang, which I'm not pronouncing right. but. Um, So the movement of people to expand the empire by moving people who don't wanna go to a place where they have to make their way no matter what, because that's where they're stuck and they can't go home. So transportation can also act in that way. And there's just, there's so many ways for a world builder to think about, not just I'm gonna take my trade goods from this city to that city, but what it means on the deepest, on so many levels. Anyway, that's why I love this topic. (laughs)
3: No, but absolutely, because as soon as you develop any kind of technology, there are about 10 different uses than the one that it was originally created for. And I think that you see that with transportation hugely, that it's like, you know, well, we we came up with this to move this trade good, but but now we're going to create, you know, the triangular transatlantic slave trade instead. Okay, g- cool, great, awesome. That's what we as humans tend to do tend to unfortunately do and I think that you have to think through all those repercussions right I mean not that you have to build a depressing world that folds all of the nasty things that we have done into it but I think that as a good world builder you consider it and think about why it doesn't go that way if you choose to not have it go that way
0: pretty much the introduction of any technology you kind of need to at least think about what's the worst way people can be be used yeah (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> because
0: Somebody our track will.
2: record is not good.
0: No, it's no. not.
2: Although, you have, then you have the, the flip side of the irony of um, a military conquest and one of the famous things that used to be said after the Mongol conquest, then they created the what I still believe is considered the largest land empire in history. Um, at, for There was about, I don't know, some decades where it was very large. But anyway, they used to say that a woman, a random woman carrying a bag of gold could walk for however many thousands of miles in complete safety because the Mongols ruled it. Now, is that kind of I mean, what does that mean? There's so many levels of we, we think, well, that's nice that she could walk and take her bag of gold without being assaulted for 5,000 miles and then it so Does it mean it was an authoritarian government? Probably, because that's we're talking about a different era and different expectations about what government did. But it also meant that if you were considered part of the the society, that you were safe. If you weren't considered part of the society, then all bets were off.
1: Yeah, that idea of who who is made safer by the technological advances, who is given the advantages of these new developments that we have in in terms of transportation, who does it benefit, yeah. and at whose expense? I think is something that responsible authors need to at least keep in your head and and be aware of the constructs you're making, like Rowena said.
2: Yeah, I would echo again what Rowena said that that you don't people can write whatever you want. You don't have to write like one thing because someone said that. But you, it is useful to keep in mind that like if I'm writing from the perspective of someone who grew up in the US, um, it's good for me to keep in mind that this is, a, this is not a universal system at all, remotely at all. Um, and, and again, like having your own individual car, that's not the norm. And it hasn't been the norm historically. So think, try to think outside the box, write what you want, but re- keep, the, keep in mind maybe do some reading maybe kind of look at other places and times especially if you're writing in not in a modern world
3: our old shoes
2: don't presume chestnut <laughs> rising to the surface again do some just do a basic I, basic horse knowledge <laughs> i did very early very early and before i was published uh, um Judith Tarr, in fact, who's well-known for her horse knowledge, read a read an early draft of, uh, of a book of mine, and one of her comments was, and I should know this, I grew up in farm country, my goodness. Um, anyway, and she goes, I just want to remind you that horses aren't motorcycles.
0: No. <laughs> yeah.
2: And that has forever stuck with me because I just wasn't, it wasn't that I thought they were. It's just, I wasn't bothering. And in another book, it would, it would maybe it wouldn't have mattered because the transport by horses was, wouldn't have been an important central part of the story. But when if it's an important central part of the story, then you have to decide that you're going to at least address it. And at least, right. even if it's just once. So this
3: is a sad, Rowena really overthought this. And it, it's like a one-line <laughs> throwaway thing in um in the second two books in the trilogy that I have out, that this one country in the world creates part of their infrastructure is not just having roads but having like state sponsored livery stables basically. And the, the one fellow who's who's a cavalry officer is like, this is the best thing ever. And we need to make sure this is something that we bring back at some point. Like I have reform ideas for you people about your, your transportation infrastructure because because they thought of this and they're not motorcycles and you can't just ride them forever. And at some point you have to rest them, feed them, probably train, change them out. And so this this nation that relied heavily on, on road transport had thought up a way to deal with that. Um, on behalf of their citizenry who could afford horses. So obviously not everyone, but.
0: I'm always reminded of the the bit in the beginning of The Searchers where all the guys from the village, they, they go out well into the desert to stop something and then realize they screwed up and that they need to get back to town very, very soon. And most of the guys are like, all right, let's just race back. And John Wayne's like, yeah, that's not going to work. We need to, we need to rest <laughs> the horses and rub them down. And you're know, like, cause else he'll just drop dead halfway to town. And the rest of the guys are like, no, we're doing this. And they race off and he's, you know, takes care of his horse for a while. Then calmly gets on, starts riding and then passes the other guys who are all stopped in the middle of the road because their horses dropped dead. <laughs>
2: That's great, you know, and and in fact, the Persians, the Achmenids, did in fact have relay stations for their postal along the ro- royal road. So you would ride, and then you would come to a relay station. There was a set amount. That I think they did. There's, there's a good chance they actually studied this to figure out what's the, you know, what's the fastest that the horse can ride and have a day's rest, you know, for a couple days rests for the next time a courier comes along. But so they would ride along, they would change out horses and then keep riding. So it's totally it's not overthinking it, it's totally reasonable because it's already <laughs> been done.
0: Well that's what the Pony Express was too. Exactly you know, stations every ten miles. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And like I, and I always wonder too, and I haven't really gotten into this with my own writing, but why horses? Like I feel like we have the option to to do other other beasts of burden. And aside from when people, for example, like ride dragons or something kind of really, you know, big and grand, we, we don't dig into your other options for beasts of as often as perhaps we could. I, that's Though a... I do love riding dragons. I, no no I... shade on that.
0: Camels are just as fast as horses, which seems <laughs> wrong, but just, you know, it, it feels like it's wrong, but it's true. They're think, amazing
3: to watch, yeah. like like <laughs> watching camel races. Because they're just like, that thing should not be able to move like that, but it does.
2: There are a few fantasy novels where the person has introduced a riding animal that is not a horse um, and isn't any animal that's in on Earth, you know, as part of Earth's fauna. And I always think that's fun, Um, especially if they have their own behavioral ticks, right? So you get to learn about them along the way.
0: And it's also a delightful cheat of like, it's like horses, but better, because they can go faster.
2: (laughs) I think big lizards are probably among the best, right? Kind of like going around the ground, they're kind of like not close to the ground, moving funny.
3: Only, and, like, the yeah, the movement would be kind of interesting yeah. to, to learn how to ride a lizard because it wouldn't be much life riding. Yeah, it'd be,
1: it'd be a very different gait because it would sort of be more side-to-side yeah. side than, right. than the bucking up and down. And our 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 viewers, our viewers listeners can't see me. <laughs> we're, we're we're all going we're, we're how would that work? <laughs> it's like, well, I'm thinking of, like, the skinks that, you know, we have in the backyard and how fast they can skitter. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. scale that up. You'd lose a little bit of that if it was a bigger creature, but... I don't know. You could make that a, a workable beast of burden in some way. That'd be that'd be funny as heck. Just
2: But could it <laughs> only go along. during the day? You know, at night would it become yeah. too like sluggish to have to. Yeah. yeah. So, who knows.
0: There, please tell me that there is some fantasy novel out there where they have like like whale ships that are just, you know, right. <laughs> riding along giant sea creatures that
2: Th- know, There has to be. I'm sure there is. Yes.
3: Or, or they're used as like, like tugs. Like they're your tugboat. It's, it's a yeah. whale.
2: <laughs> there, I'm, I'm, sh- I, yeah, I'm sure there is. And, and if people on Reddit fantasy are listening to this, please, start, start a thread. Find us the wh- the whale ships.
0: I mean, because in science fiction, that is a popular trend, like in Farscape and such, where the ship is this giant yes. living creature that that flies around in space. So why not? Why not a, you know, giant sea behemoth that takes people around, you know, like that you can get inside and, you know, it's fine. You you know, their digestive system is slow or something or that they're.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, Jonah kind of did their that in, in the Bible. <laughs> so, like if, you know, it's
3: got Jonah and Pinocchio here.
2: Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. And actually, well, I'm just... sure there are. I couldn't name one, but I'm sure there's got to be some kind of steampunk thing where there's an airship that's actually alive. Oh, yeah. Like it's a like it's a lofty cloud, not a cloud creature, but, you know, a gaseous creature.
0: If not, there should be. And more airships in general.
3: I mean, and that was one of the most enjoyable things about um, Naomi Novik's Temerir books Mm -hmm. is that the mode of transportation is a very intelligent dragon. So you have that kind of like horse and rider bond but it's like times 20 because the 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 beast of burden is in fact as intelligent as a human um which which makes things more interesting and also raises some ethical questions about (laughs) about beasts of burden in and of itself
1: yeah which which the books then explore which is wonderful Mm -hmm. i also loved every time in that series they needed to transport a dragon a really long distance because once again it's not a motorcycle it can't just go forever and so they had to adapt ships to carry these incredibly heavy, very large dragons. And so it was like, this is age of sail, but they have aircraft carriers essentially <laughs> because <laughs> they're landing dragons on them. It's like, that is fascinating. I love it. So one thing we've, we've kind of like,
3: kind of like looped on it a couple times, but how does, how can, and how does the inclusion of magic in your world change the equations? of transportation like what can you do with that and how do you think about that
0: you know i've recently been playing with this world building thought experiment where my idea was what if the world had teleportation magic that was common but restricted in that like it wasn't easy to scale up like it's easy to teleport five people somewhere but you can't teleport 50 easily and also it has to follow the Terminator rule. Like, wherever you end up, like you end up naked, because you can't... It can can only teleport living things. So, like, it's not useful to, like, drop an army somewhere or anything. So, therefore, transportation of goods, like, that still has to be... Like, you still have to ship things places. But people can show up anywhere they want easily. But you're not gonna... You're not gonna do an invasion that way, because no way that's going to work. <laughs> so I, I was thinking, like, what would the, the ramifications of that be?
2: I love that because you get, you get this benefit, right? You can get there immediately, but there's so many vulnerabilities built into it. Uh, I, I'm a huge lover of fake teleportation ways to get around. and that, So much so that I've used versions of this and different ones of my book. So I have um, actually all, almost all, of my books. In Crown of Stars, there's standing stones can be aligned with the, the stars to create basically a gate that allows you to go to another standing stone formation. Uh, they're not all that way, but some of them are. But you have to know so much to be able to, you have to be able to do the magic, but you also have to understand the, uh, the astronomy of it. Um, as well. So it's something that's limited to who can do it. And, and as with what you said, Marshall, that you can't, not that many people can go through. Um, and then I also have Gates in um, the Crossroads series. But again, there's only a few people who can use them and they can only, I think it's only one person at a time really could use it. And then I also use it in the space opera because I don't, I didn't want to write a story where it takes you 100 years to get between solar systems because there's no story. It's, there's a story there, but it's not the Alexander the Great story. It's, it's like, all right, <laughs> let's go. Um, so I have what are essentially fake teleportation. I mean, I make up, I, I give reasons that are, that, you know, I can pretend are scientific, right, even though they're, ma- it's not. Um, but again only one ship at a time can go through and someone living has to be there has to be a a living breathing human on it so you can't like send through a bomb on an unmanned ship you have to so so yeah creating vulnerabilities if you're going to give advantages in your transportation or communication there's ways in which that can also you can use the you can use that to create vulnerabilities or obstacles in the plot, I think Le Guin does that with the Ansible. You can communicate, but it still takes all these decades to get between places. You can communicate instantaneously, but that doesn't help you, yeah.
0: I was thinking of the, the Jack Campbell Lost Fleet series where he has two different kinds of jump gates to go from star system to star system. There's like the old system that they had all but abandoned, and then the new system, which gets you places much faster. But for whatever reason, at the beginning of the book, this fleet like went to go invade their enemy's territory and screwed up completely and thus cannot use the, the new gates to get back home. So they have to do like this series of going through the little gates that you can only go from here to here and then here to here and like thread the needle to get back home. That takes six books to get back home because they have to go the slow way around and not get destroyed.
3: So, like That delights me, though, because it takes that that concept of like the instantaneous teleportation A to B, and it adds that element of frustration that we've all felt when you can't get a direct flight, <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> But I like to think about things like that, right? Like, so if you have magic, does it does it just work everywhere, A to B? You can just plug it in? Or do you have to have these hubs that you have to work through or these, you know, not just vulnerabilities, but also like annoyances that we have to kind yeah. of, you know, deal with? And, and, you know, you can also even play with silly things, like, not silly, obviously, but... Um, maintenance on this kinds of kinds of stuff and and do you have things like weather delays if if you get ice on your teleportation gate do you have to have a whole fleet of people who go out and de-ice the gate like we have people de-icing runways you know
0: there's lightning so sorry you ended up in Des Moines that's just that's
2: <laughs> <nonsense>. oops <laughs> oh no not Des Moines I, I was actually I just want to say I was actually born in Des Moines by the way <laughs> It's a
1: random
0: I literally just pulled that fact. out at random.
1: <laughs> but that can be a great plot element, too. If we're thinking about, you know, not just crafting our world, but crafting the story, what if it is supposed to work, you know, in a certain way, but then for your character, something goes terribly wrong for some reason, whether it's an accident of fate or interruption, deliberate um, tampering by the antagonist or something like that, then you've got, you know potentially a side quest or something like that or you've got the unexpected angle maybe that's where they meet the ally that they need is through this accidental lightning strike that took them to des moines that they weren't expecting and oh that's where i meet my mentor figure or something like that and and didn't know it can introduce that element of useful chaos into the story as as travel troubles can in our own lives <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, and it also makes, it, it does that thing where, what is it that they say, a coincidence is fine if it causes something bad to happen in the story, but if it saves you, then it's not so good. So when they, when the Fellowship tries to go over Caradhras and the blizzard hits, which granted is magically induced, then they have to go through Moria, which has been mentioned before, but it's like, oh, Moria, no. Right. And so, no, we don't want to go there. We've already been primed as the reader to know we don't want to go there. We really don't want to go there. Oh, no. Now we have to go there. And so it has more meaning to us since we rejected it. And now we have to go to it because this other thing didn't work. So that kind of heightens the tension than if we just went to Moria. To the first place. So it's it's exactly so if we have to go to Des Moines, whether something good or bad happens in Des Moines, it heightens it because we weren't expecting it.
3: I love to the concept of the industries that build up around travel and transportation. Um, And and that's very old. That's not new, even even though, you know, it's probably much larger now than it once was. But things like, you know, roadside inns have been around forever and a half. Um, and linking that to magic is kind of fun too. Like what, what industries would have to support magical travel? Um, do you have on the other side of that gate that you go through when you come out naked, is there immediately a store that has set up shop selling like relatively cheap unisex, anyone can wear it clothing so you can get something on fast. Like, is this part of your package? You know, do you have a concierge who makes sure that you're going to have, an ensemble ready for you at the other side of the magical nude gate. Um,
2: <laughs> it's forever, forever. That is what it's now going to be. Magical nude. It's I an M-N-G. It. M-N-G, <laughs> M-N-G, right? the MNG,
1: MNG, right? MNG, I got to take the MNG today. So, you know, oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> have pants for me on the other side. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That can be like a whole communication thing. You know, you, you write home to, to your spouse weeks ahead of time, like, expect me on this day, please have pants. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, I don't, don't know. Don't Get- pants.
2: pants. Do ha-
1: <laughs> have you shipped presents for me ahead of time? I don't know if I'll have <laughs> pants for you or not.
2: And it reminds me of the whole development, actually, of writing itself, which is most it seems to be centered around trade, you know, saying and pantslessness and pants and pants, <laughs> straight in pants, um, you know, where and that. So this this sense of infrastructure around transportation is like rich. It's a rich place both to world build, but also to create story. Uh, you know, can you get past the checkpoint where the, the government has someone stationed every ten miles along the road because you have an autocratic ruler you know and you you can either try to go around or you have to get through the checkpoint you know why would you so there's a little point of maybe you know why would you go there and just i feel like world building and plot can work off each other if you if you think about it through that through that filter of plot and if you think about plot through the filter of world building they They work on each other. They build on each other. They create openings that um, either one done separately, just alone, can't create. And then you add character in, and it just kind of the whole thing blows up into a good in a good way. Maybe we hope. We hope.
0: With of Revolution, like like that was one of the things I say when I started coming up with the idea. I started with I want them to have motorcycles, and then. From there, did world building work to justify why motorcycles and not something else? And I came up with this whole thing that the roads in this town are very twisty and curvy and very narrow, which is the way it is in a lot of cities in Latin America. So that, you know, a motorcycle is going to be a much more effective way to get around and zip through all the curves and, and narrow spaces that you can't do in a car or a truck. So... See So that's how I justified that.
2: that, No, that's see, I think that's a great starting point. Because look how and now it's a whole novel, right? From that one thing (laughs) that you wanted to do just because you wanted to do it. And tacos. And tacos. tacos.
0: It's pretty much my my original motivation for the book. Make a fancy novel with motorcycles and And tacos. tacos.
3: (laughs) So if we're going to delve into the subject of craft a little bit and we're talking about travel, I think that travel is one of the things that I find myself trimming most often because i realize i don't have to write the whole journey here it doesn't serve the story the way that i originally thought that it would um which i swear every time for me has to be after i've like written a good chunk of it and i'm like oh no i really shouldn't i'm just gonna go ahead but how do you make those decisions how do you find yourself deciding what serves the story to include in terms of the epic journey and
2: what does not serve the story I was just going to say, I think the story itself tells you. If, you know, if your story is how you backpack across this unpassable mountain or hike across this unpassable mountain chain with monsters, then that's your story. If your story is you've got to, you know, get 500 miles to besiege this city, then the, the, the city and the siege are what matters. And you could just say, well, then they got there, unless something happens along the way that's going to matter in the siege. So I think you just have to decide. I do the same thing, by the way. I'll write, like, all this stuff, and then later <laughs> I'll go, like, you know, I didn't really need all this, but now I know, and I'll cut it.
0: <laughs> I was just going to say it's just got to go at the speed of drama as much as, you know, Yeah. that, that if you have, you know, useful character interaction and like that's the point of that huge section then that can work but if it is just and then we got to the next city just get to the next city nobody nobody needs every every pebble and leaf that they that they pass (laughs) described even though some people still seem to think that's what you're supposed to do for some reason i don't know where they got that idea but (laughs) Who knows? It could have been any trilogy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, if you're writing something and you have like some really cool and important character interactions on your long 500 kilometer journey. uh, And then you realize that really you don't need that journey. Sometimes, sometimes it's possible to say, where do I really need this character interaction? Is there another place I can move it? You know, or or sometimes you can have a glimpse of the journey. Yeah, one of the things I find
3: tricky is that, you know, travel in most times and places is difficult in one way or another. So, you know, finding ways to convey the fact that it was difficult or unpleasant or dangerous in some way without having to write the entire thing. And I think that, you know, shortcutting some of those things into having a single scene highlighting that and then you know, moving on to between one thing and another, they manage the next 500 miles or, or whatever that, you know, you can, you can do that kind of highlight and move on vignette highlight, move on montage scene sort of, sort of action without writing the entire 500 miles. Um,
2: yeah. That's kind of what sometimes I do when maybe I should just skip the 500, but Miles, but sometimes I just (laughs) want to show something along the way, (laughs) so, oh well. And it can be so
3: useful, too, especially if you need to seed some things about the world that wouldn't necessarily be seen in either the start point or the destination to kind of have those sprinkled in along a journey, especially if they're going to be plot important at some later point. Yeah. you literally have a window as you're like traveling through the countryside to point out the things as like almost like a tour guide for your reader
2: like hint: this is going to be important later no it's going to say i want to i want to put in a word too for the the scene that isn't plot necessity i guess um I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of the director, Akira Kurosawa, and he was not one who felt that every single scene had to be plot driven. You know, Some people are always like, well, if this isn't moving the plot forward, then take it out. Well, sometimes just that moment of standing, maybe standing on a hill and seeing the river spread out and you know, realizing you're going to be going down that river and the wind is blowing and maybe you have a moment of thinking about something the character does sometimes that's okay too, because that speaks to how people are, right? Our own lives. And if if it's 50 pages of that, maybe not so much, but if it's two pages, why not? Why not just that glimpse of the water running under the bridge? You know, just for those moments, because to me, that's what gives a world resonance. Not that that any detail must be directly related to the plot or the character, but that the world exists out there beyond them that when they leave that world will still be there i mean that for me as a world builder that's what i'm always trying to do that sense that maybe at too much length at times but um (laughs) but that idea that the world is there regardless of whether your character is there
1: ten thousand percent yeah i i i love those moments because they tend to be more like cinema in some ways that moment where you can step back and see the vista and appreciate the scope of the world and realize that that river is going to keep going It, it has other places to be that our characters may never get to but the water's going somewhere and i also think those can be good character note moments because how we relate to travel can say a lot about us Especially when the travel doesn't go well, you know? Like how we respond <laughs> yeah. to travel pressures reveals a lot of personality, which is why The Amazing Race is a fun show to watch sometimes. But it's like whenever we watch that show in my family, we say that my mom and I could do that show together, but no other combination of people in our family could, because we all know how we all relate to travel pressures <laughs> and it wouldn't work. And so you can show a character, like, is your character frustrated by the tedium? of a journey that is essentially the same day after day. And you don't need to show each day of that journey, but you can show a moment of that character being like, oh my God, we have traveled the same amount of road every day. We've had the same meal. It's the exact same routine. I'm dying for some action. And then usually I would hit them with bandits or something at that point. (laughs) Like, well, you asked for it. Um, In Give Way to Night, there's a scene where poor Corvinus, who is not a great traveler, is really tired of the fact that they keep getting attacked by... Um, the locals and he's stuck in this um, covered wagon because he's not a fighter and he just has to listen to it and be like wow I hope I don't die today (laughs) tired of being in this wagon (laughs) would really love to not be in this wagon anymore and it just those can be good moments to show little bits of character that may inform like you were saying bigger moments bigger decisions later on
2: yeah and also I I I completely agree and Travel also gives you a chance to come back to this idea of infrastructure and our pants store at the M (laughs) and G. Loving this. Um, (laughs) That all, all these minor characters who don't have to be stock minor characters because they have actual functions within the world. So the proprietor of the pants store, right? Who are they and what's going to happen? Are their kids going to take over the pants store or is one of their kids like, I'm going to travel through the MNG in my time. I'm not going to be stuck here selling pants, right? And there's so, you know, people used to, men who did long distance traveling back in the day in the medieval times, they would hire wives to travel with them a thousand miles. And that doesn't mean that those women, those women weren't, We we can't know how any individual women were treated, but that wasn't necessarily a not respectable profession. It was also something you would do if you were good at it. You could do that, and what an opportunity! I've I've written this character myself. What why? What a great option to write, Um, and a different way of looking at um, professions that we often tend to see in stereotypical ways, and so. You know the innkeeper the innkeeper's daughter. There's so many different ways to deal with those when you think about how they function around this transport going back and forth along these routes, whatever those routes may be, whether sea routes or, or um, or, or even or even the fact where you know as we said where things will spring up on either side of a ferry across a river. You're going to have some kind of. Uh, infrastructure, you're going to have an inn, you're going to have a place where you can buy something. You're going to have someone who can go fish dead people out of the water who fell off the ferry.
0: And what happens to that infrastructure when transportation changes? Yes. Like, uh, like the motel in Psycho, like the whole thing with that is Mm -hmm. They were on you know, the back road, and once the highway came through, nobody came through that way anymore, so nobody oh. needed that motel anymore. So there was almost no business for them anymore. <laughs> so might as well murder any woman who came by.
3: One of the most delightful surprises um, in, in my travels ever was going to the first Kentucky Fried Chicken in Corbin, Kentucky, what? which... I thought was not going to be exciting at all. It was one of those, like, there was nothing else in this area. We're going to go do the one touristy thing. But it was actually a museum to the roadside motel. And the fact that this used to be on a major, you know, interstate highway at the time that eventually gave way to the big interstates. And so this area pretty much fell off the map in terms of a common site to stop on your on your cross-country trip but just the fact that you know you did you had these motels that would be built up they would have a restaurant attached and the whole concept behind the first kentucky fried chicken was that the colonel put model hotel rooms in the restaurant for people to look at because you know mom wants to see is this really going to be a nice decent place I want to check it out first. And so instead of having to go open a motel room for every family who comes through who wants to stay, he just put models in the restaurant for people to look at. And they actually still have them there. And it's kind of interesting. So if you're ever in Corbin, Kentucky, there's literally (laughs) nothing else to do. You have no other options. Um, So do visit the first KFC. That's
2: amazing. (laughs) I'm I'm, Fascinating. It is. And also it creates history, right? And so instead of having that static... The world has been in this pho- pseudo-medieval state for a thousand years with nothing ever changing. The little things, little details like that create. Now you've already got this creation of history and change. You know, the, the waters rose and that port is no longer accessible. It, you know, so what happened to it? Where did they go? I, yeah. Yeah. And
0: in, in that Lost Fleet series I talked about earlier, he plays on that a lot because they're slipping through these star systems that are not on the big new system so now they're the backwater star systems with you yeah. know, almost nobody there and there's like one little garrison of of navy officers who are like oh you just came through with your fleet yeah we surrender thank you okay <laughs> <laughs> because because we've got nothing here we we haven't seen any new people for 30 years <laughs> and,
2: and can we go with you please <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Or not, you know, or someone who says, "I want to stay here," you know. Um, the, but I think when I had, I, I live in Hawaii, and I had been here about it, so I've been here about 20 years. But when I the first year I moved here, I went in to get glasses at Walmart at the Walmart place because um, that was the only one I knew of at that time, and uh, the receptionist was a native Hawaiian woman, and. I had been there long enough that I knew that my, my legal last name was always pronounced incorrectly because it's, it's Danish and it's Rasmussen. Um, and it's, all, you know, it's either, either people would stare at it and, you know, and say, I don't know, or they would pronounce it wrong or whatever. But anyway, I handed my card to her and she goes, oh, Rasmussen. And I'm like, whoa, I said You know, you know, I said, I'm a little surprised. i have usually mispronounced. And she said to me, well, my great-grandfather, who, which by the way, in Danish, the word for great-grandfather is Olofa, which means oldest father, very old father. She she said, my Olfa was Erasmussen. So it had been pigeoned, right? The word had been, had come down. It had been pigeoned a little bit, shortened, but I imagined in my head I didn't ask for it. but I imagined that some sailor in 1910 had said some Danish sailor had said I'm not getting back on that ship and kind of slunk <laughs> off and made a home and that happened in Hawaii not all the time but it happened enough that people would come here on the whaling boats in the 1880s right and they would say like wow well, this is nice it's a lot nicer than working on that whaling boat, you know, that whaling ship. <laughs> and then they would just kind of go. And then you get, now you have these people living here who didn't, who got here by these other routes.
3: I love that. I, I feel like there's, there's some kernel of something deep there that I'm, I'm going to butcher completely, but just the idea of travel also being so innately tied to home. Um, mm. That where you travel from and where you travel to are kind of two sides of the same coin depending on what your perspective is um and that in fantasy that adds a huge amount of resonance to what you're writing and the significance the places and the people that you're writing in about
2: five years i'm waiting for the book from you it's going to have that as a thematic (laughs) element if i start writing that yeah (laughs) maybe i don't know how long it takes other people to percolate you know it takes me about it takes me some years before the first thought can actually become a whole novel.
3: Yes. Well, we have, we have been going for a while at this point, um, enjoying our conversation. Um, but I want to leave time for um, what is always my favorite part of a guest episode, which is a bit of world-building trivia oh, okay. gifted to us from our, our guest.
2: Um, a world-building trivia? What, what? Can you give me more help?
0: so over the course of doing this podcast we've been slowly putting together the world of our creation and each guest star has just added an element of whatever element they wanted to add to this grand world that we've been creating and not writing down
2: okay so but we already <laughs> have we need but we've already that. done it right we have mm-hmm. the mng with the with the stores where you come through <laughs> and you have this the clothing store And then there might be, I'm trying to think, what else would you have? Well, you'd have to have maybe something to eat unless the food, maybe the action of the gate turns all the food sour, so you need the clothes first. Um, And then a banking situation. You know how they had old banking situations where you would have a, a writ, right? And then that writ would move and you could take the writ a thousand miles away and give it to another thing and say, this writ is for whatever. So there would have to be some means that could come through, maybe a tattoo on your body, which would, you know, or a ta- so now we have people who travel a lot would be heavily tattooed, so, because that's how they're getting their money to keep on going when they come through. Uh, that's Make that's
0: it. their uh, proof okay. of identity love for it. the bank accounts. I love it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> It's like passport stamps, but on yeah. you, and but it's also you. your <laughs> yes, credit card. Yeah. That's also that <laughs> <hard> part. Fantastic. <laughs> I love that. That's cool. We're going to have to work that in somewhere when when someday we finally get around to making the we wiki for this. Really, really <laughs> need to make the
2: wiki. Yeah. I'm never going to forget the magical nude gate. <laughs> genius.
1: I love it. I love it. Because it also says things about, like, you know, I, I don't know what corner of our world we'll, we'll build this into, but it says things about, you know, comfort with nudity and, and yeah. being willing to show up buck-ass naked someplace. <laughs> I think there's, probably, the, so, there's, the pro- there's thing- probably a whole segment of society now that, like, has become nudists because of this. They're like, nah, I'm good. I don't need your pants. So I'm just going to walk down the street <laughs> <That's terrible. laughs> swinging free. I'm good. <laughs> You know, and, and
3: if that's not okay, you would have to have some like pretty specific laws in effect. You know,
2: in Is order okay? to
3: like, you know, you know, we don't do that here. You need to go back
1: to the pants store. <laughs> Is it okay in some cities and not in others?
2: You know, I feel like hang my curtains or tapestries, you know, around. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I feel like
1: my my civilization of of Virgos, my River Virgos, would not be okay with. <laughs> <laughs> With people just freeballing it down the road, they'd be like, Whoa, whoa, we have a district for that, and it's not here.
2: Well, I want to say, as a Leo, we're like, Where's my pants? Right? <laughs> Why is no one no, buying no, my aren't pants? Good already? Enough. I, I need shinier ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah Do you have yeah. shinier <laughs> pants. <laughs> See,
0: I was mostly just thinking in terms of like, that way it's not used for war purposes because nobody's going to show up <laughs> naked and spoiling for a fight. Because...
2: But someone will figure it I, out, right? I'm not sure that's true.
1: I feel like I know some people. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, but they're not going to get very far doing that. No, well,
1: yeah, I don't know an army full of them. I, I know singular people, but... Especially if you can only have, go one at a time. And to be very just, you know, like, bare boxing. So. Yep, yep. <laughs> whole new meaning to bare knuckle boxing <laughs> yep most and on that note, <laughs> on that, that, that highbrow
2: note <laughs> we, usually, we're all do. High brow <laughs> we here.
1: usually do usually when we choose to leave off kate it has been so wonderful having you here with us thank you so much for joining us to talk about this topic there's clearly so much in it we could keep going forever and ever
2: but we thank got you some good thank you so much for, for having to, me to start playing with yeah thank you so much
0: Hi, you. Thanks for listening to this episode of World Building for Masochists and letting us help you overcomplicate your writing life. Our next episode goes up on February 17th and chicks and ducks and geese better scurry because we'll be talking about domesticated animals. We hope you'll join us for that one. We really hope you liked this episode. If you did, please do take a minute to tell a friend, shout about us on the internet, or leave a review on iTunes. If you've got questions or you just want to tell us how cute we are, there is a number of ways to contact us. We're on Twitter as @WorldBuildCast, and our email is worldbuildcast at gmail.com. We also have a Discord chat room linked on the About the Show page of our website. If you want to come and chat with us and other fans of the podcast. We'd love for you to share the world you're making and help us all build until it hurts.